suitably or quite appropriately, we're concluding Galatians with Paul's uh, summary statements of the letter, which has been about the gospel and has been about, because the gospel is about what Christ has done on the cross. And we're going to take communion at the end of this message and uh, for the end of the service. And it's just really appropriate that we spend this sermon focusing uh, as clearly and as plainly as possible on the centrality of the cross, on what Jesus did on the cross. And that's how Paul wants to conclude this, is with leaving the Galatians and leaving us with this message very clearly. Um, all the other things that he's talked about has illustrated it, has amplified it, has explained it, has described it. And as he concludes now in his own handwriting, he wants to leave them with one final clear picture of the cross and why it's central to his life and should be central to our life as Christians. It's the centrality of the most important thing of the Christian message. Uh, I'll just uh, pray before I begin. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can look into it. And I pray now that as I, I read your word, that it would be powerful and effective and uh, that it would accomplish its purposes, as I know, we all know that it will. And we're all here with different hearts, and your word can reach each of our heart wherever it is at and, and Lord, accomplish its purposes, and that's what I pray for. It's an incredible message you have for us, Lord, so I just, I just pray your blessing upon us now as we look into your word in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul, in uh, Galatians 6, uh, you can go there in your phone or in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back near you. And uh, as usual, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one. That's our gift. And... Uh, but only if you don't own them, okay? If I come over to your house, I don't want to see a stack <laughs> of like 15 lakeside Bibles. Just take one if you don't have one, all right? Leave it for the next guy. But seriously, yeah, let's open up our, the Word of God here. Galatians chapter 6. I'm actually stalling to give you time to get there because I really want you to see the Scripture today. So see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that may, they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And I'll just conclude. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit, brethren. Amen. And so as I said, Paul's concluding now his letter to the Galatians, and he, and he picks up the pen at this point. Um, I'm pro probably many of you are aware that Paul didn't actually do most of the writing. He would, he would dictate and a scribe would write. And so it would be very neat penmanship and, and very clear and, and good spelling. And the scribe would, would transcribe exactly what Paul said. And so the spelling would be right and the penmanship would be neat. But the grammar is always not that great. As we've seen in Paul's letters, his, his grammar uh, even in the original Greek, is not good Greek grammar because he's just talking. He's not writing. And, uh, but the scribe is faithfully recording everything word for word. And so we actually get some, 
some bad grammar in a sense from Paul sometimes, when he, especially when he gets excited. Because again, he's, he's like I'm doing now, he's talking and he gets very passionate about the things he's talking about and he just starts talking very excitedly and the scribe is furiously trying to keep up. And uh, at this point though, Paul picks up the pen and he says, I'm going to write this end part in my own hand. And he did this fairly often. It was pretty common practice. Just like you would sign uh, a letter that's done on a computer or on a typewriter, you sign it with your signature so that people know that it's from you. Well, Paul would pick up the pen and write the last few verses in his own handwriting. And so he says here, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. And people have you know, had some interesting conversations about what this means. It could be because of Paul's eyesight. We know that Paul didn't have great eyesight. Um, he Even earlier in this letter, uh, while he's in Galatia, probably was suffering from malaria or something similar, causes painful eye problems quite often. And he even says to the Galatians, you guys were so good to me, I was struggling in my sickness, you would have gouged out your own eyes for me if it would have been possible. And so we know he's got a problem with his eyes, it might be that, that Paul's eyesight's bad, so he writes large. But as I read this, I wonder whether there's something more going on here, whether... Paul is writing with large letters the same way as when you are emailing someone you're not necessarily that happy with and you need to get your point across, you switch to all caps, 18 point, bold font, (laughs) you need to understand, read my lips, this is what I'm saying, right? And so Paul is writing here with large letters and I like to think that perhaps he's trying to stress the fact, look at what I'm saying to you, this is important, Okay, this is, I'm writing this with my own hand, and I'm writing it large because I don't want you to miss it. Now, what is it that he is writing? He's saying this, remember this, this is what I was writing to you about. Remember, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so he immediately says, he starts off with a dismissal of the Judaizers. And I won't go into all of that. If you've been with us in the series, you know who I'm talking about. These people that came along after Paul and told the Christians, Jesus is great, the cross is great, the resurrection is awesome. The mercy of God is fantastic. The grace of God and faith in Jesus is great. But you also have to continue to keep the law. You're not really justified. You're not really made righteous. God can't really bless you unless you also keep the law. And Paul says here he dismisses that right away. Those people who are trying to make a good showing in their own flesh, that means by their works in the law or by their doing good, They are only trying to compel you to be circumcised because they don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ, the message of what Jesus did on the cross, brings persecution. It is not a popular message to the world. These people are saying, you can be right with God by following religious law, or you can be right with God by being a good person or being a nice person. This is the reason why the cross of Christ is something that people are persecuted for, is because the message of the cross of Christ tells us several things. First of all, the message of the cross of Christ says that God is judge, and people don't like to hear that. They don't want to hear the message that God is ultimately the judge of their life, and whether they are good or bad, righteous or unrighteous. And so as soon as you start to talk about the cross of Christ and why Jesus had to die, you've got to talk about God as a judge, and the world doesn't want to hear it, and you will be persecuted for that message. But secondly, you will be persecuted by the, for the cross of Christ because it says that we are sinful. 
The cross says we're bad people. We are unrighteous people. We're sinful people. And we're not just a little bit sinful. We are really sinful. We're so sinful that something like the cross has to happen to set us free from our sin and to pay that price. And people don't want to hear that either. Nobody wants to hear that we're sinful. The third thing that the the message of the cross of Christ that people are persecuted for is when you start to preach the cross of Christ and make it central is that the cross tells you that being nice isn't going to be good enough. Because people might go along with the idea that there's a God and that God has a plan for our life and an ethical and moral state that things should be in. They could buy into that. They could even buy into the fact that, yeah, they're not necessarily the greatest people. But when you talk about the cross of Christ, what you end up having to talk about is you being a nice person isn't going to be good enough. You just following some religious rules like showing up at church on Sunday and reading your Bible and helping an old lady across the street and not cheating on your taxes, that's not going to cut it because there's a cross that has to be bore. There's a cross that has to be gone to to pay the price. You being a nice person doesn't cut it. And the world doesn't want to hear that. We want to hear that if I'm just nice, you know, as long as I'm not Hitler, then I'm going to get into heaven. right? As long as I don't go around killing people or at least lot multiple people, then I'll get into heaven, right? And this is what people want to believe. It's like, I'm just going to be a nice person and God will have to accept me because I'm so nice. And the cross, the message of the cross of Christ says, no, you will never be nice enough for heaven because we are sinful people. Being nice and being moral is not enough and people hate that message and so that's why you're persecuted for it. And the fifth reason, and this goes a little bit deeper, I think it's even subconscious, but people hate the message of the cross of Christ and they persecute those who preach it because the message of the cross of Christ says that we can't do what needs doing. We are helpless. And people hate to feel like they are helpless before God that there is nothing that they can do. But that's the message of the cross. And so these Judaizers were coming along and they were saying, what Paul is preaching about the cross is, is you know, a, a great story. But look, you can boast or you can put confidence. He says, make a good showing in the flesh. That means they want to make a good appearance in their flesh. These people want to try to have confidence in something or boast in something in their own. And so they say, yeah, Jesus, what you did was great. I'll even give you like 90% of it. Jesus did like 90% of what was needed. But you know what? I'm still going to go to church and I'm still going to pray. And when I go to heaven, I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to say, look what a good person I was. I gave offering and I served at shepherd's table and I was in Sunday school. That's got to be worth something, being a teacher in Sunday school, right? Like that's got to be worth something. And the message of the cross of Christ is there is no 10%, there is no 5%, there is no 1%, there is nothing you are offering because Christ has done it all on the cross and people hate that message because it means there is a judge, it means they are sinful, really sinful, that being nice is not going to be enough, that someone has to die for our sins and that we are helpless. It's a message people hate or it's a message people love. That's the amazing thing about the message of the cross. When you put the cross central in people's lives and confront them with the cross, they're either going to love it or they're going to hate it. In 2 Corinthians 2.15, Paul says of his own ministry and the people that he was traveling with, he talks about his team of, of evangelists that he's traveling around Asia with. He says, for we, meaning our lives, 
and our message are the aroma of Christ rising to God among both those who are being saved and among both those who are perishing to one group, a fragrance from death to death and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. So Paul says this message of the cross is going to divide. This message is going to be a message of death to some and they will hate it and they will persecute you for it. But praise God, it's going to be a message of life and a fragrance of life to others. And they will receive that message. And that's what Paul wants for the Galatians. He says, don't believe these liars that tell you that you can somehow make it on your own. That what Jesus did was nice, but that you can do it too. That you can follow the law, or you can be a nice person, or you can eat kosher, or you can worship on the Sabbath, or you can honor the feasts, and you can do these things, and somehow it's going to help you. Paul says, don't fall for their trap. In fact, he says, the only reason they're doing it is because they're trying to avoid the persecution I face when I preach the true gospel. And not only that, the reason that they're doing it, first of all, they don't even keep the law themselves. They're a bunch of hypocrites because nobody can keep the law. Nobody was ever meant to keep the law. The law was meant to show us how righteous God is and how unrighteous we are so that we would know the problem that we're in and seek help. But he says he goes beyond that. The only reason they want you to follow their teaching is so that they can boast in you. They can just gather a whole bunch of disciples and a whole bunch of converts to themselves. And, you know, they can make whatever, get all your offering, get a whole bunch of money, have a big crowd. And he says they're doing it just so they can boast in your flesh. But Paul says there is something to boast in. Let me tell you what you should boast in. You should boast in the real gospel, the message, the centrality of the cross. He says, for me, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And so what does he mean by this, this boasting in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? When you boast in something, and you think about this several ways, and I'll just paint a few different pictures for you. A lot of ways that I think the first way that you think of this and should think of this, every one of us should think of this right now, is when you get to heaven, sort of the classic, and I don't know how it's all going to happen, but we'll just use sort of the the cliche picture. You're standing at the gates of heaven, and they're gorgeous, and St. Peter is standing there, and he's asking you, why do you think you should come in to heaven? What are you going to put your confidence in? What are you going to boast in to St. Peter as to why you should get into heaven? I think that's a sense in which Paul is talking about boasting here. What is his confidence in? What is he exulting in? What is he, does he have confidence with? What's on his resume that makes him righteous that he could boast? And Paul says, I'm not going to boast in anything except the cross of Christ. And we're all in that same boat. When we get to St. Peter, so to speak, at heaven's gate, the only answer that we can offer as to why we should receive eternal joy and glory and satisfaction with Christ in heaven is because of the cross. I mean, are you going to stand there and say, I taught Sunday school? Are you going to stand there and say, I I read my Bible? Maybe once I skipped the hard parts in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, right? Or are you even going to say, well, I heard the gospel and I was smart enough to respond, You know, my brother or my sister didn't, or my neighbor didn't. They sat there in church. They heard the gospel, but they didn't respond. But you know what? I was smart. I responded to the gospel. I knew what was up. So you should let me in because I recognize what a good person Jesus was. No, you can't even say that. 
Paul says no one should boast because Jesus, God predestined you since before the foundation of the world that you should know him. Christ knew you and died for you before you even existed to call you into his kingdom. And so when you stand there, you're not going to boast in anything in that sense other than the cross of Christ. That Jesus did what needed to be done for you to be there. That's the sense in which Paul says that he boasts in the cross of Christ. It's the central message of Christianity. And Paul wants that central message to get across here. If we want to know what Christianity is, if we want to know what the central message of the gospel is, then we could go to the beginning to see what the Christian, Christian message is from the men preaching it like Paul. And he wants to leave us here. He wants to leave the Galatians. He wants to leave us with this central image that the, the cross of Christ is the middle, it's the center, it's the most important thing about Christianity, and everything else is secondary. And I just want to take a few minutes to clarify this because I don't know that we always get this right. Many people will naturally think that Jesus' teaching is the center of Christianity. And I want to tell you very, in sort of a qualified way, but very clearly, that the center of the gospel, the center of the Christian message, is not primarily the teaching of Jesus. Paul does not say that if he boasts in anything, it's in the wisdom of what Jesus taught. And, and a lot of people think that. That when you think about Christianity, well, it's what Jesus taught, right? That, that they look at the world around them or they look at society and they look at the violence and the hopelessness and they contend that what they need, what their brother or sister need, what their parents need, what their grandparents need, what their cousins need, what their neighbor needs, is they need a good dose of Jesus' teaching. Jesus was the greatest moral teacher that ever lived, and people need to follow his teaching. So let's get the Sermon on the Mountain to people. If people would only study Jesus and do the things that he says, then everything in the world would be fine. But the Christian message, the gospel, which is the good news that we all need to hear from God, does not say that Jesus' teaching is their first need. It's not our primary need. If we only preach the teaching of Jesus, then we don't solve the problem of mankind. Just teaching what Jesus taught doesn't actually offer hope to the lost. In fact, if all we offered was the teaching of Jesus, then we would just aggravate the problem because the teaching of Jesus came on its own with no other means of salvation. If there was nothing but the teaching of Jesus and there was no other act that Jesus did but teach, then all his teaching would do is condemn people. You remember when he came along, he said, you know, you've heard it said, or it was taught in the law that, you know, you shouldn't kill. But my teaching, what I tell you, is you shouldn't even be angry with your brother. You know, or you've heard it read or said, and it's written in the law, that, that you shouldn't commit adultery. But I tell you, in fact, that you even look at a woman lustfully, then you are in condemnation and in danger of hell. And so just the teaching of Jesus on its own, not going to solve anybody's problem. It's only going to condemn them worse. It wasn't the teaching of Christ that was the central message of Paul and the disciples. Not primarily. And secondly, the Christian message, the Christian story, the center of the Christian message is not the example of Jesus. Right? Paul doesn't say that he boasts in the great example that was set by Jesus Christ. And this idea is even more popular today. Right? The, the message of Christianity is somehow that, that it's just the imitation of Christ. I mean, you would be confused if you went into a lot of Protestant, evangelical churches, Baptist churches, community churches, alliance churches. 
Because this message is really popular today. That the center message, the most important thing for God's people is to imitate Christ. Right? Be who Christ was. Look at the example of Christ and live how Christ lived. This message gets preached over and over and over again. And I honestly say it to the exclusion of the actual gospel. Because churches will tell you, not just look at what Jesus taught because he was a great teacher, but live how Jesus lived. If we could all just live how Jesus lived, then everything would be fine. He healed the sick. He visited prisoners. He fed people. You know, he, he set people free. The most important we, thing we have is to follow the example of Jesus. And that's a great thing. That is a good thing. But that is not the primary message of Christianity. It is not the good news that we have is that God sent somebody to show us how we should live and if we could all just live like him, then everything would be fine. That's not the message of the gospel. But it gets preached in church after church after church, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But it's not what Paul and the apostles preached. They only preached one thing primarily, and it was the cross of Christ. And that's why Paul concludes his message here saying, I will boast in nothing in just this one thing in the cross of Christ. And we could run through it from the beginning. When John the Baptist comes, even announcing who Jesus is, he says in John 1.29, John the Baptist, who heralded the prophet, who heralds the coming of Christ, he says, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so just that announcement tells you the primacy of the cross. right? Because John does not say, behold the instructor of God who came to teach us. And remove the ignorance of mankind. He doesn't say, behold the example of God who came to show us how to live properly. He could have said those things, but the identity of Jesus is the Lamb of God pointing towards the cross. He's the Lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world. And then you find it at the center of Jesus' own teaching. When Jesus is gathering his disciples in his most intimate moments... Not when he's preaching to the crowds, but when when Jesus is preaching to his disciples in the most intimate moments... What are the kinds of questions that he asked his disciples? If we look at that time in Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples give him different answers. Some people say a prophet, or maybe you're Jeremiah or Elijah, or some people say John the Baptist, which is really weird because John the Baptist and Jesus are alive at the same time. But anyway, so people are trying to figure out who's this Jesus guy. But then Jesus asks, he says, yeah, but you guys, you disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers him, he says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus answers him, he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And then he goes on after that and he tells them, don't tell anybody this truth, that he was the Messiah. But then from that time forth, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. This is the center of the gospel. This is the center of our good news. It's the cross. And I could go on and on through the scriptures, through the gospels themselves, or I could go into Acts. talks about Paul and his preaching. It says, as Paul went in in Acts 17, as was his custom, And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. 
and saying, this is the Jesus that I proclaim to you as the Christ. It was necessary. The cross was necessary. Or you could go to Romans, that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. By Christ's blood, we have this satisfaction of God's wrath. To be received by faith, Paul goes on to write. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. The centrality, the importance of the cross that Christ had to die. 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Is Paul talking about how, what Jesus taught? Is Paul talking about the example of Jesus? how he lived his life and cured lepers and fed the poor. No, Paul and the apostles preach again and again and again the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They preach the centrality of the cross. It's a cross-centered community. It's a gospel-centered, cross-centered community that Paul is forming, people who believe and trust in what Christ has done on the cross. And so this morning what I want to do and what we're doing here is we're just taking a moment as both Christians and maybe those who are not yet Christians, those who are seeking and trying to understand what is the message of Christianity. Paul's trying to tell us here in the conclusion to the letter to the Galatians, this is the central message of Christianity. It's the cross of Christ. Jesus taught amazing good things. The example Jesus gave is an incredible example. We do need the Sermon on the Mount and all of Jesus' teaching. We do need to act and be like Jesus and follow his example. But all of that is worthless without the cross. It's all through the scriptures. The cross, the cross, the cross. We don't boast in anything or have any hope in any other thing or exalt or glory in any other thing. We look to the cross. So how does it work then? How do we understand what is going on at the cross? And just before we come to communion, I just, I just want us to look at the cross. Look at the cross as we don't usually look at it, with Jesus on the cross. And when we celebrate an empty cross, because we know he, raised, he was raised from the dead, but I just want us to think about this cross. It's both Christians and those who are seeking What does this boasting on the cross mean? What does it mean? How does the cross save us? What happened here on the cross that it is so important? Why this centrality and importance? Well, when we look at the cross, we look at the person who's on it. Who is this person? Who is he that died on the cross? Right? He's a man. He's a carpenter. Then he's a preacher, then he's a prophet, he's a rabbi. He was a social, political radical, he was an agitator. But the person that is on the cross, that's at the center of our good news, as he said to himself, or as he said to the disciples, as he said himself to the disciples, he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what Peter confessed. He's God's Son, that's who's on the cross. And if he's God's son, then we ask ourselves, well, what is he doing there? Why is God's son on the cross if he's God's son? 
Why does he die? Why does God die? This is not the death of a person who is just misunderstood. This was not just a political agitator or some guy who had a different view on who God was. And, you know, the Pharisees just misunderstood him and he was the victim of, of uh, you know, hostility or, or just Roman oppression. It wasn't a man who was too weak to protect himself. He told his disciples in the garden, can't I call 12 legion of angels? to protect me if I wanted to. So why is he there? If he's the son of God, why is he on the cross? Well, he's on the cross and he's dying because the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He could have avoided the cross, but he didn't want to avoid the cross because he wanted to die for our sins. He was a ransom for me. He was a ransom, a price paid for you. The justice of God demands that our sin be paid for, and Jesus met the demands of a just God. That's why he's on the cross. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by God's grace we would experience death. He would experience death on behalf of everyone. The Son of God is on the cross dying for our sins. He's on the cross because He came in order to die. He took on our nature in order to die. It's not an accident, it's essential. So then we ask, why did He do this? He is a man on a cross and He had to die. Why did He do this? He did it to deliver us from destruction that was owed to the world. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Ethical behavior and morality and being nice to each other might be important for us who want a fair deal at the store or for us that want justice in the courts. But the righteousness of man is as filthy rags to God, it says in Isaiah 64. God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. In Him there is no darkness at all, John says in his letter. Can we say anything like that of any society of mankind, any culture, any family, any person, can we say that of ourselves, that we are holy and good and righteous and in us there is no darkness at all? No. Only God can say that of himself. And so what can a holy and righteous and perfect God do with us when we are dark, when we are unholy, when we are sinful? God's justice insists on consequences for sin. He wouldn't be God if he wasn't just, and he isn't just if he doesn't deal with sin. And so he is just, but he is also holy, and he is also loving. And so how can God deal with all of those three things together? He deals with it at the cross. On the cross, justice is accomplished because sins are paid for, and love is demonstrated because God said, I will die for your sin so that justice can be accomplished. And so justice is served, love is demonstrated, and holiness is preserved because now God can say, I can have a relationship with you, I can let you into heaven, I can let you into my eternity because you are now righteous through Christ. And so justice and love and holiness can all be accomplished on the cross. That's why he had to do it. God made Jesus be sin for us that knew no sin himself, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
And this is for us. That's why it happened. That's what it means. That's why Paul boasts and glories in it. Paul would boast and glory in nothing else except the cross of Christ because everything that had to be accomplished was accomplished on that cross. And so Paul's not going to look to his Jewish heritage. He's not going to look to his parents and their faith and what they believed. He's not going to look to all his time spent in rabbinical school. He's not going to look to the fact that he had the whole Torah memorized, that he could quote scripture from Genesis to Malachi without any problem at all. Paul's not going to boast in the fact that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, that he was circumcised, any of that stuff. Paul is only going to boast in the cross of Christ. And as Christians, it's the only thing we boast in. It's the only thing we would boast in to give an answer to God as to why we have any reason to have a relationship with him. And the cross is the only thing we boast in in any accomplishment in our Christian life here today. Because the cross of Christ teaches us everything. I don't have anything to boast in as a husband except that I've been a husband by the power of what's been done on the cross of Christ. I don't have anything to boast in as a father except I've done it in the power of what has been done on the cross by Christ and what it's taught me and demonstrated to me and empowered in me. I don't have anything to boast in as a pastor except what Christ has accomplished on the cross. If there's any... And Paul would say the same thing. If there's any benefit or fruit in his ministry, if there's any benefit of my preaching, if there's any accomplishment of ministry, it's because of what Christ has done on the cross. And every Christian has the same boast. If there is anything in us that is not darkness, it's because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And so what is the Christian message here that Paul is then saying that he holds out as an alternative to the world? If it's not the law and it's not being nice and it's not good works, if it's not putting hope in ourselves or just putting hope in the fact that maybe we'll, we'll slip through, if it's not putting hope in the law, what is it that we are to put hope in? What are we to do? What is the center message? If it's not just the Sermon on the Mount and trying to follow Jesus' teaching, if it's not just you know respecting Jesus as a good example and trying to do the things that Jesus did, what then do we do with the cross? What is the point? What makes it central? There's just one thing you have to do. Repent of what you formerly followed Repent of what you formerly hoped in. Repent of what you formerly boasted in. And choose to trust this message of the cross and make it the treasure and the center of your life the same way Paul has. Paul says he boasts in it because it's the absolute center of his life. We boast in it and we trust in it and we exalt in it as Christians because it's the center of our Christian faith. Don't tell me that you're going to go and try harder to be a better person. If you take that away from the message today, you've missed the point. Don't say that you're going to try to measure up to Jesus' teaching or measure up to his example in order to deserve this. That is not the message of the cross. There is nothing you can do. The message of the cross leaves us disarmed, and this is what people hate. The message of the cross is you can do nothing. You are bankrupt. You have to trust and have faith that what Christ did on the cross is enough. Just set your old life aside and pick up this new life that is being offered. Trust what Jesus did. If you trust it and you center your life around it, you will see your sin and you will repent and you will believe that Jesus has done everything needed to forgive you and make you righteous. 
That is the message of the cross that Paul wants to leave the Galatians with, that he wants to leave us with. That is the center of the Christian message, that Jesus will save whoever trusts in him and what he's done on the cross. Whoever lays down their sword of rebellion and stops resisting the truth, whoever admits their personal bankruptcy, that they have nothing to offer spiritually or emotionally or in any other way, whoever sees the beauty of Jesus and what he's done and turns and trusts him, those Jesus will save. And so we look at the cross of Christ and we make it the center of our message. You may not know any other Bible verse, but I know you know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But then go on to 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And that's why Paul glories in the cross, because he has a message that can go to everybody. It can go to the most wretched person and the kindest. It can go to the richest person or the poorest. It can go to the most broken person or the healthiest and wholest. Everyone can receive this same message of salvation. It's an open invitation for everybody to trust and believe in what Christ Jesus has done on the cross. There is, was a man that went to the cross. And that man was the Son of God. And it had to be God dying on that cross in order for us to be saved. And there is nothing we'll glory in. There's nothing we'll exalt in. There is nothing we will boast in except that. If we get to heaven, I don't know what you're hoping you're going to say when you get to heaven someday. That you're going to stand at that gate and try to make up some excuse as to why you should get in. Christians and non-Christians, there's only one answer for everybody. That you believed, that you trusted, and you centered your life on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That what he did there was everything that you needed and that you hoped in nothing else and exalted in nothing else. And so, Christian, as you confront each day of your life, every circumstance that you come across, every joy you experience and every trial, is the cross of Christ your only boast? Do you boast in nothing, in joy and suffering, except what Christ has done for you? Do you put your hope in nothing else except Jesus and his work on the cross? If you're doing that, then I already know that you are experiencing the joy of your salvation. The happiest Christians are doing this every day. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, I I just don't get this Christian message. I've I've read the Bible. I've tried to do what Jesus taught. I've tried to be a nice person. If you're here today and you're trying to boast in something, you're still trying to hope that you're somehow going to be good enough, that in your flesh you are somehow going to measure up to God, that he's just going to have to accept you because you're such a nice guy. Drop that hope like a hot coal. Put your hope in this. The cross of Jesus Christ and nothing more. There's no other religion. There's no other philosophy. There's no other worldview. There's no other thing that you can do. And you don't have to. You can put your trust and your hope and your boast and your confidence in the cross of Jesus Christ because the cross work of Jesus is certain. The work is done. Your salvation is really near to hand non-believer. It's as close as you trusting in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we're coming now to communion. We're coming to a time when we remember your work on the cross, that it is so central. This is why we do this. 
For 2,000 years, your church has been doing this. And Father, as, as we finish this letter on Galatians, I just wanted to be crystal clear. I wanted to be crystal clear. You, Paul wanted to be crystal clear about the gospel message that he was contending for in this letter. Against all other works of the flesh, against all other philosophies, against all other concepts of how mankind can be made right with you, there is one answer, and that is the cross of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have our hope and our boast and our confidence in nothing else. Let's come to communion today, Lord just remembering how amazing it is that you have done everything already. There's nothing we can do, nothing we are going to do that adds to our righteousness or makes you any more satisfied in us other than trusting and giving glory to your Son who did what had to be done on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I can just get my helpers.